0: Father God, thank you for the hope and the salvation and the joy that you give us for so much that you have done for us. We pray that we will just enjoy you, worship you, and live our lives honoring you, that others would see Christ in us. Lord, uh, draw us close to you. We need you. We desire you. We thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a movie, in the movie Not Without My Daughter, a woman had married a man who was a medical doctor, I think Sally Fields was in the was the lady, and this man was Iranian by birth and he still had his most of his family living in Iran, and this event began, or at least the setting of the movie and the book, it was really a book, it began in the early 80s after the Iranian Revolution of 1979. But the family, um, the, this medical doctor, lived with his wife and daughter in America. Well, this man named Moody, married to Betty, wanted to take his family to Iran to, so they could meet his family. And for Moody, this was a way for his family to meet his wife, Betty, and his daughter, Matov. And when they arrived, it became clear that Moody did not want to leave and, de- and demanded that they stay in Iran and live there. Now, Betty can leave if she wanted to and go back to America. Women, um, there's very strict Islamic laws for women, and they have very limited rights. So she could leave, but she couldn't take her daughter. And that's the reason for the name of the movie and the book, Not Without My Daughter. Well, all the rights are given to the man in the state in Iran, and she's like a prisoner in this, this place. And eventually she meets a man named Hossein who will help her and her daughter get to the Turkish border, get her the fake documents that she needs. And through a series of close calls, she makes it to the border and in, into Ankara, the capital of Turkey. Now, in the movie, the camera shows Betty and her daughter turning a corner or, or coming onto this place, and they and they and they see the American flag. And Betty realizes she's finally free. You know, yeah, this was based on a true story uh, about uh, Betty and her her daughter. And there's still women, I believe, even now today, trapped in, in places like this, unable to get out. When I think of this story, I realize there is a place that people can go to get away from tyranny. And typically, it's usually America. That's why you see a lot of people trying to cross the border. Uh, there's other countries, too, that people will try to flee from their, their uh, tyrannical governments and things like that to get away from what they're dealing with and try to get to a place that is free. They, people are fleeing tyranny to find freedom. And so we thank God that we are free, at least to some extent, <laughs> in this country. Yeah, where can we go on this planet? Where, what country, what state, what government can we flee to to find freedom from sin? There's no geographical place or country that will open the doors that you can walk through. And when you do, you're free from the bondage of sin. Instead, there—but But there is a place you can go. And we sing about it. And as you walk through the valley of death, through the sea of doubt, as you wade through the waters of immorality, the greed, the violence of this evil age, there stands before you the cross. The cross stands before you. And there is your freedom. There is your hope. The place to find true freedom is the cross. You will not go wrong by going to the cross of Christ and finding your hope in your life. Like the woman, Betty, who saw the American flag, we see the cross. The blood-soaked cross where our sins have gone to die invites you to know freedom that no nation can ever give. No constitution can be written that will provide the freedom that we know in Christ. No social direction or so, no uh, social direction or engineering, no political theory, no amount of money will give you what Christ has offered and accomplished and done. In Christ is true freedom. Jesus said in John 8, "If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, And the truth will make you free. And Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is truth, meaning he's freedom. You know Christ, you know freedom. We cannot know what truth is until you know Christ. We will not walk in light until we walk with Christ. Christ said in John 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you look at the Gospel of John, you notice that light, life, and truth are all the same. As opposed to deception, darkness, and death. In John, again, Jesus says in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Fearful. The peace of God from the creator of heaven and earth is far greater than any kind of peace we can come up with on this earth by human human efforts. The peace of the world ge- that the peace that the world gives is weak and fragile and delicate. But the peace of God gives through the peace that God gives through Christ overcomes the conflict of the heart and with each other. Paul described this piece in Philippians as surpassing all knowledge. We can't even wrap our heads around it. It is so amazing. It's a piece that our minds cannot fully grasp. What God does is far superior to whatever we could do. Why not trust your life with him? After all, all he wants to do is fill your life with Christ, with all that is good and true and and wonderful. In Christ is our hope. In Christ is our salvation. In Christ is our significance, our identity, our lifestyle, our journey, our calling, our future. Christ is preparing a place for you. Christ has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell within you. Christ has forged a path for you. Christ has not left you as an orphan. Christ will give you living water. Christ will shine the light and guide you. Christ has come to give you the abundant life. Christ will give you victory, strengthen your faith, give you faith, overcome your sin, forgive your sin, heal you of your sicknesses, embolden you to speak the word of God, and compel you to make him known. Christ is life and he is freedom. Live your life revealing him. I challenge you today, live your life revealing Christ. Reveal him every day. Live your life today revealing Christ. And when you do, you bring freedom. And you bring God's amazing love. Real freedom. May we pray the prayer of John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. May all who come near me see Christ in me. May the world not know Mark Trujillo. (laughs) May they so know Christ in me. What can I do in comparison to what Christ has done? But Christ in me, living his life in me. Now that is what the world needs. That is what my neighbor needs. That is what those who are angry, traumatized, hurting, and dying, that's what they need, is Christ in me, Christ in you. Come, Lord Jesus, and let your love and life shine through us. Let us live our life revealing Christ. You know, as we look at Romans 8, we see that Paul wrote this letter, I believe, to finally get to this chapter. (laughs) Because the chapter is the beautiful completion of the theology of the gospel. Romans 8 is where the gospel leads us to, ultimately, if you look at 17, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God. Uh, and fellow heirs with Christ. Oh, my goodness, what a beautiful... That's like the ultimate, the greatest statement there. You could read that and just absorb that. That's where he is leading us to, is that wonderful phrase. We see that Romans 8 is where the gospel leads. Chapter 6 is the life dedicated to God. Chapter 8 is the identity needed to live the live out the gospel and chapter 12 is the life lived out chapter six is sanctification chapter eight is sanctification detail. chapter 12 is the daily life of the sanctified life chapter eight is the opposite of what we are read in chapters one through three the human condition is darkness death deception but chapter eight we see light life and truth we see the hopelessness of humanity in chapters one through three but hopefulness in Christ in these chapters as we see the completion and the beauty of the gospel live your life revealing Christ number one acknowledge your status in Christ let's look at Romans 8 start with verse 1 therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus oh Amen. Come on. We should like, yeah, <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, Scott Woods last week quoted John three seventeen, or three sixteen and seventeen, saying that he liked verse seventeen very much. And this is what it says For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Why would God have to judge the world because of our sin? We deserve to be judged. We deserve to be condemned to hell. But when you read this verse in verse 17, you see God does not want to do that. He wants to save you. Because he loves you. May you never doubt his love. Paul in chapter 7 saw the dilemma as we looked at that past few weeks. He saw the dilemma of wanting to live the righteous lifestyle, but instead, all he found was unrighteousness. All he saw was his own sin. He even said, nothing good dwells in me. He knew in his condition, his status, that he was worthy of judgment and condemnation. He did not deserve heaven, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. God saw you in his great love and chose you to be his. Chapter 7, Paul saw his condemnation because of his sin that ruled in his heart, and he had no way of stopping it. In verse 1 of this passage, he then boldly claims that beautiful truth: there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul has been arguing from the beginning, as he concluded the uh, sort of the, as he looked at the condition of the human heart in chapters one through three twenty. If you take a look at chapter three, verse twenty one, it says, "But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets." even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. And you see there, he has been leading up to that phrase. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. We are not condemned because we through Christ are justified. Through Christ, our status and condition has changed. There's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Now take a look at the logic. Remember, when Jesus was baptized, God the Father shouted from the heavens, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. God is well pleased with his Son. Christ does not displease the Father. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. If you're in Christ, then you can't be condemned. Because then that would mean Christ is condemned. Christ is not condemned by God, but he's the opposite of condemnation. He is well-pleasing to the Father, and he knows him as his beloved Son. You say, well, what about the cross? He never displeased his Father, even when he died on the cross, because he was doing exactly the Father's will. So if you're in Christ, how could you be condemned? Condemnation is rejection. Christ is not rejected. If you're in Christ, you're not condemned. Paul cannot look at himself and be well-pleasing to the Father. I can't go to the Father and say, I am well-pleasing to you. No, I'm not. (laughs) But I can go to Christ. I can confess my sins. I can repent of my my sins. And I can invite Christ in me. And now I am well-pleasing to the Father. God welcomes you in Christ. If you're struggling with guilt or shame or addiction or whatever, remember Christ in you. Your condition has changed. Your status has changed. Your identity has changed. What you were as a sinner is no longer true because Christ changed it. He has forgiven you. He's justified you, meaning your name is no longer sinner but righteous. Live out the reality of your new identity. In that first observation, find your identity in Christ. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death, says Paul. We had read about this law earlier in 321 that says, Apart from the law, there is a righteousness that we can receive. You see, there is a way to gain righteousness apart from the law. Only in Christ you can't try to do it some other means. You can't go to some other religious uh, direction. Only in Christ. The law of the spirit of life is what Paul talked about in Colossians when he wrote in Colossians 1. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, then transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You were transferred, rescued, and removed from the de- from the domain. The domain means dominion. Sin had dominion over you. But Christ has a greater dominion over sin. He had, Christ has a greater dominion. First Corinthians it says. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter but of the spirit. For the letter kills. But the spirit gives life. The letter of the law kills. But the spirit gives life. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the spirit. Where the Lord, where the spirit of the Lord is. There is Liberty. There is freedom. There's freedom in the Holy Spirit. We're under a new law. We follow a new path. We're led in a new way. We're free and empowered. Sin and death no longer have authority over me. Sin and death can no longer lay claim to me. I'm living out the reality of Christ's life. And though I'm rece- I'm, and through that, I'm revealing the matchless name of Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ because of what Christ has accomplished. The law pointed out clearly, you and I are sinners. All the law could do was show you what righteousness is. It did not give you the power to do it. The law is like a mirror. Let's say you wake up, you go to the mirror in your bathroom, and it shows you how disheveled you look. Okay, now there's nothing you can do with this, okay? Okay. There's nothing I can do with this. okay that's it. okay I can maybe do a little quick cone over. that's it Okay, what so you get what you get. you know <clears throat> But if you got like a dirty face or you're smelly and stinky, whatever you hop in the shower, you don't use the mirror to do it. you don't use the mirror to, to comb your hair. you don't use the mirror to shower. It's just there to show you something's wrong and you got to fix it and so you fix it. The same is with the law. It's not designed to make you holy. It can only prove that you're not. In that sense, it's weak because the flesh cannot live up to the standard it is showing you. The law is unable to empower you to live holy. It can only condemn you. There is condemnation for those who live in the law. Because that's all it will lead you to. There is no condemnation, though, for those in Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do... Weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. What a, an amazing verse that is. He accomplished what we would never be able to do. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. You catch that? He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful man. He looked like a sinful man. If people look at him, well, he's just like everybody else. But he was not like everybody else. He was accused of even sinning. Yet he was not a sinner. He never sinned. He lived in a world steeped in sin. Every person and every structure built by humanity marinated in sin. He walked among the sinful, the prideful, the immoral, and the violent. He was never tainted. He never took part. He never fell into sin. On the cross, he became sin. His coming in the likeness of sinful flesh meant he could condemn sin since he walked in the midst of sin and sin came upon him. He did what no man could do. The beauty and tragedy of the incarnation of Christ is seen in this verse here. The beauty of what he accomplished. He did walk among us and sin was all around him. Then he was taken to the cross and he became sin for us. He took on our sin. Now what the law could not do, Christ did. He did it. The only way to get what Christ did is you need the Holy Spirit. You need his presence. You need his feeling. Come, Holy Spirit. We're only able to walk in sin in the flesh. But now and in through Christ, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and in righteousness. In righteousness and truth. We place our feet where the Spirit has walked. And we walk where the Spirit has walked. It's like if you were to, if there was a 100 foot tall man and you said, okay, step where he steps, every stride would be like, what, 50 yards or something, 50 feet? I couldn't do it, you know? You can't keep in step with the Spirit on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to keep in step with the Spirit. We bow before the cross, walk away freed from the lawlessness of sin. What will you choose, flesh or spirit? Live your life revealing Christ. Number two, journey of the path laid out for you. Let's look at verse five. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, toward God, For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a story recently read of a man who uh, was addicted to crack. The story begins with this man strung out, having smoked the last of his drug. He was broke. He was forgotten. He was rejected. He saw a bus coming. He got on. And the only other person on there beside the bus driver was an older lady. He knew if he wanted more drugs, he needed to go and steal from a business or steal from someone because he had no money. And he was on his way to doing that. Interesting, the lady was looking at him very intently and with great focus. And she said to him, you're lost and alone and your life is not going the way it should. You will find your peace through Christ Jesus. Enough was said there that those words pierced his heart. And he began to change. Now, it wasn't immediate. You know, it's interesting, as he kind of backtracks, he said, Well, let me tell you my story. I grew up in a nice home, loving parents. I got married, had two beautiful daughters, played in a band, making good money, had lots of money in the bank. Um, and he was eventually introduced to crack. He became hooked, addicted, and because of his addiction, he lost everything. He lost his job, his wife, his daughters, And he found himself alone. Because that's what addiction does. It demands pure and total allegiance. It will take everything away unless you obey it and it alone. But when he was on that bus, he heard those words and he held on to them. And eventually he got saved. He found Christ, surrendered his life. Now he plays on his worship team at his church. He's been nine years clean. This is what the law of the Spirit and the life of the Spirit does. It frees you. It removes you from condemnation to acceptance. In the book of Hebrews, we read, and therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be made like us in all things, so that our sins could be removed and forgiven. I am forgiven. Now I must forgive. Christ is the one who con- who was condemned for me. Now I am accepted because of Christ in me. As we look at these verses in Romans 8, we see the stark contrast between spirit and flesh. They're not compatible. One must go. One must be obeyed. Number one, look at the conclusion. You know, again, Stephen Covey, I think we quoted this yesterday. Begin with the end in mind. He wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm doing one, I think, right now. No. <laughs> no, begin with the end in mind. If I go in this direction, it's like Paul saying, if you go in this direction, what will be the result? Here, Paul is very clear about what the end result will look like. If you live according to the Spirit, the result is life and peace. If you live according to the flesh, death. What do we mean by the flesh? The flesh is our sinful, selfish selves. In verse 14 of chapter 7, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into the bondage to sin. We're held captive and imprisoned to this body of sin. Look at what the motive is behind the flesh. It is hostility and hate toward God. Look at the motive of the Spirit. It's peace and life from God. Hostility is not peace. Can you have hostility towards someone and still be at peace with them? No, you cannot. A resounding no, or as Paul would say, may it never be. If you do not have peace with God, you will not have peace with each other. And let me tell you, our history books are filled with a testimony of hostility to each other. It's just filled with it because we have no peace with God. If we're hostile to God, we're hostile to each other. If you're hostile to God, you're then hostile and hateful to what God says. You're hostile to what he's revealed, which is his righteousness. When you're hostile to God, you're hostile to his word. You're hostile to whomever he loves. God's word is life. So if you're hostile to his word, then you won't read it. You won't meditate on it. You won't, you'll, you'll reject it and you'll accept death. Because his word is life to us. Yeah, it's interesting. In uh, Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters the, and the earth was formless and void. And how did we get rid of formless and void? Well, God spoke every day. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, we're back to formless and void when the earth was covered with water. Why was it formless and void again? Because they rejected the word of God. If you want a formless and void life, remove the word of God. Formless and void. If you're hostile to God, you're hostile to his word. But we need his word. In Deuteronomy, we read this. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We need his word. That verse clearly states, we do not live on bread and food, but God's word. His word is life. You reject his word, you reject life. The follower of the flesh will not submit to God's word because sin acts like an immune system to the word of God. And so when the word of God is heard and you're in sin, you'll just, your first thing you'll do is reject it. How many ways have people in our culture and throughout history have tried to poke holes in God's word? condemn God's word remove God's word how many times have theories popped up to challenge what God has said or claim history is different from what God has revealed how many times have the Ten Commandments been sued in court how many times have we heard God is not the creator this is because we're filled with the flesh finally followers of the flesh cannot please God why would they want to this means the followers of the flesh will not live by faith because in Hebrews we read, and without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. If you're of the flesh, you will not follow God. You will not listen to God. You will not have faith in God. The conclusion of a person who does not have faith in God is a fool. Flip Psalms 14. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. In verse 22 of chapter 1, look what it says. It says, professing to be wise... They became fools. We become foolish by rejecting God. The follower of the flesh is a follower of sin itself. It only reveals and only concludes with death and immorality. It does not bring help to anyone. We will bring no help to anyone in this world by following the steps of the flesh. But followers of the Spirit bring life and peace. It shows to the world. A more excellent way Following the flesh will only reveal What history of humanity has already revealed Millions and billions of times over Let's show the world And our community and family Something different Let us show them something better Let us show show them Christ Live your life Revealing Christ Number three, live the life God designed for you Let's look at verse 9 through 11 In the book of Galatians 5, Paul said that the spirit and flesh are in opposition to each other. Because they're focused on two different things. The flesh produces immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envious, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. You can never come to the end of that list, by the way. It just keeps going on and on and on. That's why he just says, and etc., basically. But the fruit of the spirit... Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Complete opposites. Flesh, spirit. The flesh will not produce what the spirit will, nor will the spirit produce what the flesh will. You cannot start with the flesh and produce what the spirit wants. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. God did not design you to live according to the flesh. He designed you to live according to the spirit. When you come to Christ, you receive the Spirit. That's clearly stated in verse 9. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells. Don't let anyone tell you, oh, you have to wait for the Spirit to come. The Spirit comes at salvation. You receive the Spirit of salvation. When you repent, when you come before Christ and submit to Him, the Spirit comes. Number one, what the Spirit wants to do. When you receive the Spirit, the Spirit wants to do One very important thing. Many people say when you receive the Spirit, well, I'll do this. I'll speak in tongues. I'll heal this people. I'll see visions and prophecies. I'll have this wonderful experience. That may happen. Wonderful. God bless you. But that can also be a distraction. The most important conclusion we get through the Holy Spirit is that you get a relationship with God himself. A deep and intimate relationship with him. That's what you were created to be and to know. That is what you God is drawing you. You know, when you're filled with the Spirit, you know what will come out? His love. His love. Your body is dead because of sin, and one day, praise the Lord, we'll get new bodies. But while we're here on this earth, we come to, to life in the Spirit. You have a relationship with God through the Spirit, and that is greater than anything. What is amazing is that the Holy Spirit has come to live within me. He has come to make me alive. He has come and he is my guarantee of all that God promised. The greatest promise is God and knowing him. The Spirit wants you to know God and to be in close relationship with him. Look at that verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. It's just a beautiful verse. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Just contemplate that for a moment. The Holy Spirit is able to make a dead person alive. Now, of all the power in the universe, I do not know of any power outside of God that can make a dead person come to life. Do you know of anything? I don't know of anything. I can't pour water on a dead person. I can't throw dirt on a dead person. I can't feed a dead person. They're dead. But the Holy Spirit can do something far greater than I could do and what any other human being can do. We have a million ways of how to kill people, and we have mastered that very well, sadly. But nothing brings to life to a person who is dying. But Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Father can. Since the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead, well, He will raise you from the death, from sin to life in Him. He is life itself. You have the fullness of life because the Spirit lives in you. That means sin, which can have a hold on you, can be overcome. If the Spirit of God, who raised Christ from the dead, is living His life, is living Him, in, living in you. What can you not overcome? If you're addicted to drugs, pornography, immorality, maybe you're filled with world ideologies, maybe you have anger, maybe you got whatever you're dealing with, can you not overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit? He can bring you out of your prison into life. He can save you from what is holding you and walk with you. Into that light. If the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead living in you. What can you not accomplish in the power of the Holy Spirit? We can accomplish whatever God wants us to accomplish. So what is God wanting you to accomplish? What is God calling you to do? What is God saying? That seems very uncomfortable, God. Well, then go do it. And enjoy the journey. And yes, you'll probably have struggles. Yeah, you'll probably have some failures, but you will overcome through the Holy Spirit. God, who's rich in mercy, has taken me, who was dead in my sin, dead in my selfish, sinful nature, and made me alive. What is that life? It's a relationship and intimacy with God. He guides me out of my addictions, He forgives me and makes me able to forgive. He fills my mouth with words of praise and my heart with the gospel. He takes the regret and shame and turns them into ministries. Now I can help other people with regrets and shame. He puts me on a path to tell others about God, to pray often and love him. My heart is filled with peace and joy. I'm now living the way God designed me to live. I'm now living my life revealing Christ. And that's what you're doing too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. We desperately need him. Help us now as we celebrate and remember the time and the gospel of Christ our Lord dying for us and rising again. In Jesus' name.